You're listening to Heretic by Rukis. This is Chapter 4, Sire. Because I don't want you there, Lucius's uneven footsteps and the answering clunk of his cane thudded down on the wooden floor of the hallway, as though punctuating his annoyed declaration. I live here. I will literally have to go four halls over to avoid the gathering, I argued, following him in his wake. My arms spread. That's fine. Young man like you can stand the exercise just fine, he grumbled, reaching to his waistline to retrieve something from in his pocket, likely the key to his study. That was confirmed a moment later when he produced said key. I sighed. You can't just avoid this conversation by creeping off into your study. Let's talk about this. That is what we have been doing, and I believe I gave you my answer. He pushed the old brass key into the lock of the big mahogany doors. I arched my shoulders against the two stiff collars of my dress shirt and waistcoat and belted. If you honestly want me to lead these people some day, I'm going to have to meet them at some point, Dad. That got his attention. The grinding of the key in the lock halted and he turned to glare at me. You know how much I loathe it when you call me that. Yeah, but you'd best get used to it. I gave a derisive smirk. In less than a month, it'll be legal. And then you can't stop me. I can stop the whole affair if I want to, he threatened, turning and settling both hands heavily on the handle of his cane. In fact, I can send you back to the stocks, and if you don't stop pestering me about this, I might consider it. With Delilah a few weeks away from popping? I snuffed. Let's play chicken. I'll bet I win. He arched an eyebrow, and I smiled in triumph which only earned a more irritated look from the old man. The time isn't right, he insisted, stubbornly. We should at least wait until you're officially married, and we need to wait until Delilah's given birth and recovered for that. That still doesn't make any sense to me, I muttered, leaning back against one of massive old wooden frames hanging in the hallway. The painting in it was of some long-forgotten shipyard. If you're so worried about how all of this looks, why are we waiting until after the pups are born? Because, he explained, for the thousandth time. It's not the timing that really matters. It's how the whole affair looks, and how it makes our family appear. A successful breeding in a family of prominence is always looked on well, regardless of how it came about. What's important is that we show we're not ashamed of the child. Rushing her to the altar when she's thick with pups is crass, frantic. Indicative of panic. There's no need to rush. The birth, the wedding, it must all look as though we intended it, no matter the timing. It would be a scandal if you didn't marry her after siring her pops, of course, but... Not my pops, I reminded him with a hand up. He could play at this ruse all he wanted, that I'd be damned if he expected me to honestly accept the responsibility for the litter. I took too much shit around here for everything else. I wasn't about to go accepting blame for some other man's mistake. Besides, I hated pups. Regardless, he narrowed his eyes at me. To the world, they will be. They will also be yours by law once you marry her. Do not forget that. Whether or not you maintain this callous and disconnected once they are born, which, speaking as a father, I believe you will have trouble doing. Prepare to be disappointed, I muttered. 
For this family and my daughter, having healthy children will be a blessing, and the physician seems to think the pregnancy is coming along well, so it is highly possible at this point that she will. He loosened his grip on his cane, son, and sighed. However it came about, it is good for us. Breeding is paramount amongst pedigree society, even if your children aren't of the finest bloodline. Anyone with a decent grasp on math would easily have known my daughter was pregnant before marriage, even if we'd wed you to her the day you arrived, so there's no point in trying to fool anyone. I wanted to ensure you were right for her first, and the two of you seem to have gotten on very well over the last few months. I am also far more confident in your skills as a tactician after having personally assessed them. How much longer are you going to strategize before we finish that match, anyway, old man? Board's been set up in the game room for over a day now. I'm pretty sure that rook isn't going to move itself, I smirked. I'm still thinking, he quirked a jowl in annoyance. We'll get back to it when I have the time. And some clever ploy out of that check? Give it up. Let's just start a new game. That's your problem, Luther. He turned and finally opened the door into his study, stepping inside. You're on to the next thing before you've seen the previous thing through. Only when I've already won. You're not even married to my daughter yet, and you want to meet the captains of a fleet you won't even command for another several years. If your tutelage under Johannes goes well. He headed into the mosky study. I followed him into the large, darkened room. It was easily bigger than the house I'd grown up in, but for some reason it still managed to feel cramped. The curtains were always drawn, the floor a darker wood than most of the rest of the house, and the light seemed to sink into every surface like water into porous wood, giving the whole place a feel of a cave lift by torchlight. The walls were covered in weaponry, flags and trophies from what must have been a very extensive naval career. Nothing valuable, really, probably all just keepsakes from the lands he'd visited. I found the place fascinating. It might have stunk of cigar smoke and old leather, but I had to marvel at the sheer diversity of the things he'd gathered, and the stories each must have entailed. You need to look before you leap, Luther, Lucius murmured, heading over to one of the racks along the wall, and running a palm along the wood dowels, propping up several sheathed sabres. For someone with so much to fear from the world you choose to surround yourself with, you're startlingly reckless. I didn't choose the world, I said, distractedly, my eyes moving over the many oddities hanging on his walls or resting on the wooden shelves. And if I had, I wouldn't have made it and everyone in it hate me so much. But you chose the navy. You chose to maroon yourself at sea for months at a time, with only your fellows in close quarters where secrets are all but impossible to keep for long. You chose to remain in Amoresca, despite your disagreements with the church. I joined the navy to travel, I pointed out. Then why not just hop ships somewhere in Matar, where they sell men on the corner of every street, and don't give a damn who beds whom? I don't use prostitutes, I growled distastefully. I know it's an old naval pastime, but it's really not my thing. I enjoy my health too much. Besides, it isn't just about the sex. Then you could have settled somewhere with someone whose company you enjoyed, he countered, and it was beginning to irk me how much he was starting to remind me of my own common sense when he dared to rear its head. 
somewhere quiet where you wouldn't have been bothered. You could have taken up herding again, lived an average life, and rarely risked discovery. Maybe I don't think I should have to live in hiding. I stayed in the argument, but felt myself drawn towards a peculiarly terrifying thing hanging against the wooden panelled wall in front of a torn foreign banner of some sort. The banner pictured something vaguely reptilian. I wasn't sure. It was tied into exotic leather I couldn't even identify. The object above it looked to all appearances to be a skull of some sort. Some kind of beast, the likes of which I had never seen before. Its brow tapered up into two long horns, with several shorter ones crowning its brow. Small eye sockets, but massive sunken pits between the eyes and the long muzzle. Its jaw brimmed with razor-sharp teeth. Not just canines. Every single tooth was sharp. My point is, young man, you're careless and foolhardy. You have a brilliant mind, I'll grant you, but perhaps because you're so sharp you tend to act on the fly. It might work out well for you in combat, but it translates poorly into social situations. The people amongst my circle are already predisposed to think poorly of you, considering the story they've been told about your relations with my daughter. I smirked. Yeah, it was quite the sultry affair that never existed. I had to admit, I'd enjoyed playing the role of a strutting low-born scoundrel who'd romanced the impressionable young daughter of a nobleman. Perhaps too much. Your behaviour at the few events I've dared to bring you to over the last few months has been reprehensible, he glared. I'm trying to retain some dignity throughout these events, for myself, for my family, and my daughter. And so far, you have not proven to me that dignity exists in your vocabulary. You're exaggerating, I stammered. There was the incident with the Baroness. Everyone in that room was thinking it. I tried to be subtle. I told a joke. About flatulence, he glared. She got the point. I crossed my arms over my chest. Besides, if you're going to be belting them out, you may as well laugh about it. Fine. You didn't need to press the issue, he glowered. She insisted it wasn't her. Denial just makes it funnier. And then there was the ball at Clausten's. I laughed at the mere memory. Did you honestly expect me to keep a straight face listening to that man rant about tax levies? He was so angry. I fail to see why that's amusing. He was a dash hound, I explained. His feet, I spotted between laughs, dangled off the chair. I made a little kicking motion with two of my fingers. Hans Clausten is one of the wealthiest landowners in the entire North Country. It was embarrassing. This is, of course, all nothing in comparison to the incident with Lord Etheridge's son. He got a particularly sour look at that, and I shut my muzzle, clearing my throat. Look. Anyone who wears breeches that tight wants you to look, I insisted, memories of the far too pretty golden retriever filling through my mind. It's your neck on the line if you're found out again, he barked. I won't protect you again. I shrugged helplessly. I have a serious weakness for blondes. His brow only furrowed deeper at that, and I exhaled. And besides, I have tried to play the ladies' man too, and you didn't approve of that either. Perhaps if you'd been subtler about it, 
commenting on a young lady's bust line isn't acceptable at a dinner party. I thought that's what Straitman talked about to break the ice. To her father. I didn't know it was her father at the time. I rolled my eyes. How many shepherds are there at any one dinner party, honestly? You're impossible. I swear, I cannot bring you anywhere. The spaniel angrily pulled a drawer from his desk until it clacked against its hinges. He began rifling through it before producing a cigar, and then stood and headed over to the bookstand, where he lit it on a tapered candle. You've done little but expose yourself to ridicule ever since I dared to take you to any of our social gatherings. Give me one good reason why I should allow you to meet with the people I'm having over tonight. Because I didn't want to go to your galas or balls, those people were whirled apart from me. The men you're having over tonight are all soldiers. I want to meet them. I sighed. And besides, what does it matter if I made a bad impression on a few nobles? You've said yourself, those people already loathe me strictly based on my birth. I could tell the second I spoke to a one of them. Did you really expect me to stand there quietly and be mocked, and be on my best behaviour? If they're going to treat me like dirt, I may as well be who I am. And that's what I am. Dirt. You're not dirt, Luther. The old man let out a breath, the cigar smoke lifting around him like a fog from a harbour. He looked through it at me. You're a brilliant young lad with a lot of unrealised potential. A stubborn, stalwart constitution, and, I am beginning to suspect, a good heart, despite all of your attempts to obfuscate the fact. The care you have shown my daughter throughout the last few months has been extraordinary. He put his cigar down on the marble ashtray on his desk, staring nothing on his desk for a few seconds before looking up at me. For that, you have my gratitude. Neither I nor Delilah's mother has been able to bring her any peace since this whole situation arose. How you do it, I'm not certain. I glanced back at the doorway and the thin strip of light leading back into the hallway. She's not doing too great today, actually. Says she hasn't been feeling well. She's in her last few weeks. It's always a difficult time. I only hope it ends more favourably for her than it has so many times for her mother. The old man's eyes cinched in what must have been a painful memory. I only nodded at that. Lucius's wife was almost a non-person around here. I'd seen her once or twice, but she was a ghost. She was utterly out of touch with the world and only vaguely drifted through moments of lucidity. She'd spent most of her time in her bedroom. I barely knew her, and I suspected her own family barely knew her anymore. Apparently, she'd had a string of miscarriages following Delilah's birth, and at some point, a birth had gone horribly wrong, and she'd been barren ever since. I wasn't really certain of the details. If her mental state was somehow connected to her issues with childbirth, or if the old woman had just slipped away over the years for any other number of reasons, but it was a sad state of affairs. I spoke with Delilah about it from time to time. We talked a lot, actually. We hadn't been able to spend a lot of time together over the past few months. Apparently, the physician felt she needed to be shut into her room more often than not to ensure the pregnancy went well. Often, I'd go weeks without seeing her, but during the times I was permitted to spend time with her, we would walk the garden or sit in the library and just talk. 
Most of the time, she didn't even require we talk back and forth, which suited me just fine. The girl wasn't actually as quiet as her father made her out to be, nor as timid. She was remarkably open if you just sat and listened and let her work up to it on her own. I honestly couldn't understand why so many men claimed women were so difficult or hard to understand. The girl seemed perfectly rational and clear about her feelings to me. And I'd been braced for the worst. I'd heard pregnant women were especially manic. Her father and Cuthbert both often spoke to me in confound astonishment that I'd broken through to the young girl, a task they apparently saw as mountainously hard. It really hadn't been all that difficult. I just listened. Lucius sat and stretched his leg out with a wince I'd seen from many a man who'd taken a grievous injury in the line of duty. I often wondered about that wound. How bad was it beneath his clothing, beneath his skin, and how he'd gotten it? I suppose, he said, raking my revere. I ought to show you some consideration, at least, for the efforts you've put into the one area of this whole farce that really matters. Sir? Your relationship with my daughter. He leaned back in his chair. You may be a complete scoundrel at court, and a holy terror on the chessboard. But you've been treating Delilah well, and whether or not your care for her is genuine, my girl has seemed far less unhappy of late. He sighed. I suppose that is worth letting you off your leash for one night. I tried not to wag my tail. Finally. I hadn't been away from the sea this long since my teenage years. The least I could do was fraternise with a few real soldiers and mariners for once, instead of these prancing pedigrees and their psychophants. You won't regret it, sir, I smiled. I promise you, I blend in far better with my own. These aren't midshipmen. They aren't your own, Lucius lowered his brow. This is an officer's ball. I don't host many events here, but I hold this gather every year. It's a shame it fell when it did this year. I'd hoped Delilah would have had her pops by the time it came around, but the weather being what it is, we had to schedule it now. The northern ports are going to freeze up soon. I hope some of the men in are from the Trialtic, I mused. I've been itching to hear how they're faring against the Shelchan privateers this season. Poorly, from what I hear, Lucius grumbled. Admiral Cross is the only man with any gumption out there, and his boats are woefully outgunned and outnumbered. He can't cover enough of the trade routes. There's a dozen young bucks, with better galleons, of course, getting fat and pissing their careers away at the Shanivar. They're all cowards. They won't go into open water. They just hug the coastlines in Hudari-protected waters and claim they just can't find the privateers. I smiled, letting the man grumble in his slow, gravelly tone until he finished his cigar some ten minutes later. I always enjoyed listening to Lucius talk about the Navy, both past and present. He was a font of knowledge, and there was always a new story to be heard, a new land I'd never even heard of that he somehow knew like the back of his paw. Speaking of which... Sir, I spoke in a moment of silence, not wanting to interrupt him. He snuffed out the stub of his cigar, looking up. I turned, my eyes once again inexorably drawn to the torn foreign banner on the wall. Lucius had a number of wild game from many different lands mounted on his walls, but for some reason 
The dark, empty eye sockets of the skull that rested above the banner were boring into me with a great sense of foreboding. It was almost primal and strangely terrifying. And I was an uneasily terrified man. Lucius seemed to know. His tone fell to an almost inaudible level as he spoke. Cathazra, he rumbled quietly. I looked back over at him, oddly concerned about taking my eyes off the skull. I... what? I should burn the damn thing, he murmured darkly. I don't even know why I've kept it all these years, or why I brought it back to begin with. But I felt as though, after everything we went through, I needed to remind myself every day why I left. Perhaps to prevent myself from ever returning. You've lost me, sir, I admitted. That is one of their war banners, he pointed to the scaly hide with the reptilian symbol emblazoned upon it. The creatures from the Dark Continent. My eyes widened. You've been to the Dark Continent? He cast his eyes down a moment. Almost seven years ago, I was with one of the first landing forces that lay claim to the northern mountain forest. We named the colony Surwich, humble place, mostly logging, and a bit of fishing to keep the workers fed. It's since grown. I believe there are between two and three thousand souls living there now. I've heard only rumours about the Dark Continent, I admitted. At most of it, I'm really not certain whether or not I can believe. The goods that come back are real, but... The whole place is real, Lucius ground his teeth. Just as ferocious and terrible as the rumours say, if not worse. Take every horror any sailor has told you and magnify it several times. The insects carry plagues the likes of which no physician has ever seen. Men die spitting up their innards, with boils on their skin and maggots in their wounds. Any injury in the wild is immediately infested or swarmed on. The insects there are ravenous. The forests will devour you whole. Even the earth can drag a man beneath it, where the mud is thick. There was a mountain range. We never knew how far it was. No one dared to venture that deep into the forests. But one morning, the whole of the world shook, and we woke to see plumes of hellish smoke belching into the sky from its peak. Our priest said beyond that peak was the mouth of hell. I believed him. I tipped my ears back. And people live in this place. There are natives? Not people, son. He squeezed at his aching knee, eyes unfocused. Beasts, demons. He pointed again at the banner, or perhaps above it. That there is one of their skulls, the Garthadzra. The men call those dragons. They're usually the leaders. I grimaced. You took one of their skulls. They're barely above animals, less so at times. Animals rarely eat their own dead. I leaned back away from the thing a little more. Every second it was beginning to bother me more and more. I shuddered to think what it must have looked like when it was alive. The skull was massive. He nodded and took a hold of his cane, slowly pushing himself up into a standing position. They're not what I'd call civilised. We tried at negotiations for a while, but it went nowhere. Eventually we just approached it, like we would exterminating any predator threatening a town. It should have been easy, there weren't many of them, 
their weaponries, to say the least, archaic. He got that distant look again, but I couldn't even imagine what he must have been remembering. But they knew the land. They can blend right into the forests. They always spring from ambush. You see the drakes circling fast in the skies. Then the legless ones come up from the water or the brush. The dragons follow. And if it's a particularly bad day, you stumble on a basilisk, and you'd better hope your men can run. What the hell is a basilisk? I arched an eyebrow. He looked my way, then ran a paw over his knee again, slowly. Pray you never find out. I was getting the feeling the old man badly wanted off the topic at hand, so I cleared my throat and gave him an out. So, how long till the party? I should probably get ready. He waved a paw. They should begin arriving within the hour. And don't worry, your attire is fine as it is. This isn't like the balls I've taken you to. A few of the men will be pedigrees, but all are military or navy. That's what matters. Just be on your best behaviour. Please. He looked meaningfully at me at that. Remember that above all, these men may someday be under your command. This is your very first impression. I am trusting you. Don't let me down. Yes, sir, I nodded. Good. He headed back over to his desk and began shifting through some of the mail there, pulling out a pewter letter opener from a drawer. He was midway through opening one of the envelopes when he looked back up at me. And get out of my study, he groused, as though it were obvious. Oh, right. I did as the man bade, and headed out. As fascinating as I found the place, I knew better than the bother the old mariner for long when he retreated there. It was something of a sanctuary for him, not even Cuthbert bothered him much when he was there. Luther. The sudden, deep voice nearly made me leap out of my skin when I turned the corner of the hallway and nearly bumped right into the devil in question. Good God, man! I clamped a hand over my heart, willing it to slow its pace. How the hell do you do that? Not when your size should be so stealthy. He quirked an eyebrow. Apologies, sir. Just Luther, please. I insisted for about the ten thousandth time. However you please, Sir Luther. He folded his arms over the small of his back, and I let out a long breath. Over the last few months, I'd somehow fallen into the same category for the wolfhound as the old man apparently did, because he was treating me the same. Practice, I suppose, for when he served under me in the future, but for the moment it didn't feel natural. What is it, Johannes? I asked, fussing with the hem of my waistcoat, settling the easily creased fabric. Miss Delilah has been asking for you. Oh, I ran a paw up through my neck scruff, scratching at where the collar of the offending garment I was wearing rubbed into my skin. I could not wait until I got back into naval wear. As it was, I'd taken to sleeping nude ever since I got here. Firstly, because there was absolutely nothing these people wore that was even remotely comfortable enough to sleep in, and that was counting their sleep shirts. But secondly, because there was some sort of manservant they had waiting on me here. Some old Dane mix who was delightfully frumpy and easily offended. And I loved watching him get mad every day when he insisted on changing my sheets because I'd been indecent in them. I wondered often if the man would have a heart attack were I to honestly be indecent in them for real one of these nights. Is she in her bed? 
I questioned. No, she has decided to take a turn about the house. The doctor said the walking is beneficial for her. He looked over his shoulder at the staircase nearby. She's in the east wing, near the Giuseppe painting. I gave him a blank look and sighed. The one of the two white horses. Oh, I patted him on the shoulder and strode past. You could have just said that, old boy. I was mistakenly hoping you had acquired some culture, sir, I heard him say to my retreating figure, and I just smiled. Johannes was all right. Truth be told, I'd spend more time with him than my soon-to-be bride. But then Johannes wasn't pregnant. He'd been briefing me on Lucius's fleet mostly, and also the men captaining Cerberus's sister ships. I'd also discovered he had a decent hand at fencing, and we had a daily ritual in the practice hall, and then the archery range out back. My skills with a longbow were lacking, but I managed all right with a crossbow. I usually beat him with the sword, but Johannes was a crack shot. I'd never been much for projectile weapons. I had suspected since I was very young that my vision wasn't excellent. I had trouble focusing on objects at distance. I found if I shut my left eye, it improved, but Johannes insisted I keep both open. Still, provided we kept to activities we both enjoyed, I'd found him fairly amicable. I could certainly see myself being very comfortable with him at sea. He was dependable and calm. Despite his fierce religious beliefs, he did the world a favour of keeping them to himself. He didn't even seem to take much offence to my condition anymore. On the few occasions it came up, and I asked him how it was he kept company with a sinner. He'd only said that it was God's place to judge, not his. If all the men in the church were like him, I probably wouldn't have had such a bad relationship with it. I saw Delilah as I rounded the corner into the east wing. The long hallway was primarily an art gallery, with windows overlooking the back lawn, which was pierced down the centre by a long gravel road. I discovered soon after taking up residence here that the back of the house was where primary access to the manor for most of the non-family members was. The road there was traversable by carriage, unlike the front path. Delilah was standing near one of the large windows, staring through the frosting panes. It was unusually cold autumn this year. The leaves had barely begun to turn, and we'd already had our first frost. Delilah's eyes seemed fixed on the going-ons around the carriage road. I could hear the first of the evening's guests arriving. Horses, carriages, muffled voices. Delilah was looking down on it all, her muzzle pursed, fingers knitted in front of her large belly in an uncomfortable jumble. She was scritching her small, blonde claws over the back of one hand in a way I'd often noticed she did when she was lamenting something, or just generally unhappy. You'll be able to join your father and the family again, soon. I spoke quietly, trying not to startle her. I hadn't meant to creep up on her, but she was so focused she probably hadn't heard me approach. She jumped a little bit, then calmed when she saw it was me. She gave a weak smile at me then looked out the windows again. I know, she mumbled. I just feel almost like I'm imprisoned by this. I, I know it's for my own health, but... She went silent for a few moments, and I stepped in beside her, looking down at the assortment of carriages, with their various passengers disembarking. Luther, I'm scared, she spoke softly, but I could hear the tremble in her voice. I know. I said as comfortingly as I could. 
There's this inevitable event coming upon me. She ran her paw down along her swollen belly. And I feel like I have no choice in the matter. I have no say. This is going to happen and when it does, I, I may die. She swallowed. Or they may die. The brown ice fell to her midsection. And I can't do anything. I can't really prepare for it. I can't practice, so I'll be better at it when the time comes. I can't affect the outcome of this in any way. It's all right to be scared, Delilah. I tried to give her the most assuring tone I could, but in reality I felt helpless to comfort the poor girl. Everything she was saying was entirely true, and it was something we'd spoken on more than once already. Giving birth was a terrifying thing, and I couldn't even imagine what it must be like to be in her position. I don't think any man could. I feel helpless. She spoke with her head down, the long trellises of fur along her ears covering half of her face. As though I never asked for any of this. And now it's happening, and I have no choice in how or when it happens either. I'm not ready. Do you wish you'd never conceived? I asked, honestly not sure what her answer would be. So when she responded, yes, in utter certainty, I was surprised. I knew the young woman was uncertain, uncomfortable, even unhappy much of the time. It's not that I didn't want to have children some day, she murmured. I have always wanted to do my duty and be a good mother. I don't even mind the physical symptoms so much. They are not as bad as what I'd heard. I just didn't want to have children. So young? I supplied. She looked up at me. In this way, she finished, looking into my eyes. I made my best attempt at self-deprecation, since that always seemed to cheer her up. I know I'm a scruffy lout, but am I really all that bad? She smiled, almost despite herself. It's not you, Luther. You know that. The father, then? I asked, and she stiffened. I slipped a hand down and took hers, immediately regretting bringing that up. She froze up every time I did. I don't know why I'd thought it would be different this time. That was one subject she'd never opened up to me about. Not once in the last few months we'd been speaking. It's all right, I assured her. Her hand was shaking in mine. I squeezed it softly, and that seemed to help some. I can't tell you I understand, Delilah. I spoke. I don't think any man could, honestly, but I know what it feels like to be helpless against something you cannot control, and how destructive it can be to spend your days cursing the way things are. Some things in life we can't change. You can dash yourself against the rocks all you like, but in the end, all you'll really do is waste your time and bloody your nose. Some things are just what they are, and regardless of how they came to be, we need to accept that they're part of us and learn how to live with them. I looked down at her. I don't know how those pups came to be, but they're a part of you now. I have every faith in you to bring them into the world. When the time comes, I know you'll tough it out and do whatever needs to be done to get through it. Whether or not you have a healthy litter afterwards, you'll be stronger for it. You'll be a good mother someday. You're kind, canny, and stronger than you think. I saw her eyes glistening somewhat and had to turn away. The girl wasn't exactly an emotional basket case, but I couldn't deal with a female crying. It made me uncomfortable. She only sniffed once, though, reserved in all ways. Then she whispered a quiet, 
Thank you, Luther. I only gave her a nod and another squeeze of her hand. You don't know how envious I am of you men, sometimes, she admitted with a weak smile. I'd rather write or hunt or work a trade or even go to war than go through childbirth any day. Hmm, I had to agree with that. Our lives would both be drastically improved if you were a man. She elbowed me in the ribs at that, and I clutched at my midsection in mock pain while she smiled, mirthfully. She began to say something else, but interrupted herself with a sudden, oof, clutching at her belly. I gave her a nervous look. The litter wasn't due for weeks. Are you all right? I asked, worriedly. I'm fine. They do this sometimes. She rubbed at her tummy slowly and swayed a little, as though already trying to rock the restless little buggers to sleep. Not even born and they're already holy terrors, I muttered. I live in fear of the day they start walking. She gave me a contemplative look momentarily, and I felt strange pang of fear that she was about to involve me in this whole pop situation more than I honestly wanted to be. My instincts proved to be on the money. Luther, she reached over and took my hand again. Would you like to feel them? They're moving about. No, no. I slipped my hand out of hers, trying to be as inoffensive as possible. That's quite all right. I, uh, I really shouldn't. I'm not supposed to touch you before the wedding. Johannes says even the hand-holding is technically off-limits, and I'm already fulfilling my rebellious streak there. She knitted her brow at me in a startling similar fashion to her father. Luther, you aren't even going to be touching me after the wedding. Exactly, I nodded. So, what's the matter? She countered. I know you won't be inappropriate with me. Besides, I'm fully clothed. I'm actually wearing two slips. The physician insisted I keep warm. Then I'll hardly feel anything anyway. I really need to be getting downstairs. I started to take my leave, and the little woman gave a frustrated sigh and just reached over and took hold of my wrist, tugging my hand over onto her belly and pressing it down against the soft fabric of her dress. I was so shocked by her boldness, I wasn't even able to yank my paw away before I made contact, and after I did, it was all over. I was aware of movement the moment my paw touched her, and I was transfixed. The thin fabric of her garments did little to mask the sensation. I could feel them, two small, living things shifting around as though already eager to see more of the world than just the safety of their mother's womb. I'm not sure why, but somehow that moment brought the whole thing into the realm of reality for me. Previously, the fact that Delilah was pregnant had really just been more of a concept. For the first time, I was coming to grips with the gravity of what she'd been trying to explain to me, and I was still an outsider. I couldn't even imagine how heavy this must have been for her. That's incredible, isn't it? She said with the slightest tint of a smile. It was an expression tempered with a lot of pain and difficulty, but it warmed me to see her happy at all. She moved her paw over mine, and for a moment the four of us were connected. I can't explain it. These little creatures were always inside of her, and I'd taken her hand and been close beside her many times over the last few months, but I had never felt like this before. It didn't matter whether we shared a bed. I had to take care of this woman, and her children. They needed me. The little pups twitched beneath my paw, and it took me a moment to realise Delilah had stiffened. I glanced to her features, 
and found them suddenly, shockingly terrified. Her gaze riveted out the window, down towards the men collecting at the back gate. Faster than I could so much get a word out of her if she was all right, she bolted from my hold and fled down the hallway. I was too confused to stop her. She hurriedly pulled open the door to her room, and while I was calling out her name, slammed the door behind her. The whole thing happened so quickly, I wasn't sure what I should do, or what exactly had just happened. Perhaps she was ill. She'd had bouts of sickness ever since the pregnancy had progressed. I began to head for her room, worriedly, before a voice caught my attention from the stairs. Luther! Cuthbert called from down the old wooden staircase. I saw just his head and shoulders as he came up just far enough to see me. Come, the guests are arriving. Lucius wants you in the great room to greet them all. I need to check on Delilah, I insisted, torn. He took the last few long strides up the staircase and headed towards me. What's wrong? he asked immediately. I honestly have no idea, I said, exasperated. She just ran for her room, and I'm worried she's not feeling well or... I'll see to her. Go. He put a paw on my shoulder and walked past me. Lucius is expecting you, he called over his shoulder, heading for her room. I gave one last hesitant look at the doorway, then turned and started heading downstairs. I'd fought hard to go to this event, and unfortunately, I honestly didn't have the time right now to sit with my future wife. Later, I promised myself. Whatever it was, it was going to have to wait.